The United States has a patchwork system of health insurance coverage in which people's access to services and level of financial protection vary depending on their birthplace, age, job, income, location, and health status. Twelve years after the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, more than 9% of Americans remain uninsured. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Sabrina Corlett, a research professor and co-director of the Center on Health Insurance Reforms at the Georgetown University McCourt School of Public Policy. As part of the journal's series on the fundamentals of health law, Professor Corlett has co-authored a perspective article about health insurance coverage and financing in the United States. Professor Corlett, what are the primary sources of health insurance coverage in the United States and who's covered by each of the programs? Well, it's quite a lot of sources of coverage, actually. I'll start with something probably everybody's heard of, which is Medicare. And that is a program that generally covers folks over the age of 65, but also covers some folks who have disabilities or certain conditions like, for example, end-stage renal disease. Another major public program that many people have probably heard of is Medicaid. And that is a federal and state-run program that was originally designed to cover very low-income people, but has been sort of expanded bit by bit over the years to cover, for example, long-term care for the elderly, aged, blind, and disabled individuals, as well as pregnant women. And then you have what many of us are familiar with if we are employed and under the age of 65, which is employer-sponsored health insurance. And that covers about 160 million Americans and is where the employer is kicking in the cost of your coverage, but it's tied to your employment. So when you leave your job, the health coverage generally does not come with you. And then there are a few smaller sources of coverage that folks may have heard of. There's something called the Children's Health Insurance Program, which is for, as the name suggests, for children, slightly higher income than those who are eligible for Medicaid, but they may not have coverage through their parent's employer. And then there's other stuff like veterans healthcare. There's coverage you can get if you're in the military, et cetera. So it's a very much a patchwork. So that patchwork is evidence of the fact that the United States has never had a centrally planned cohesive system to help its citizens obtain and pay for healthcare services. How did we end up with this fragmented system? It's an intriguing question. I was a history major in college, so I love sort of looking into the history of these things. If you look at Europe and dating back to like the late 19th, early 20th century, many leaders, you look at like Bismarck in Germany, they recognized that having access to healthcare was critical, not just to a healthy population, but in Bismarck's case, he saw it as critical to Germany's military strength. So they invested early in having a national healthcare system. That didn't happen here. There were lots of attempts over the years dating back to the progressive era in the early 20th century, but it just never happened. So I don't know, chalk it up to American individualism or you name it, but we just never created a national health insurance system. And what we've done over the years is just sort of build in this very piecemeal fashion coverage programs for targeted and often politically popular populations. So as you say, one of the backbones of the U.S. health coverage system is employer-sponsored insurance. What are the implications of relying on employers for health benefits and on government subsidies of those benefits? 
it's a bit of a rickety foundation to build on. Employers offer health insurance to their workers for recruitment purposes because they want to attract a talented and skilled workforce for retention. They want to keep people that they've trained and to have a healthy workforce, productive workforce. But there are a lot of cracks in that approach. Number one is that it's voluntary. So employers generally do not have to offer coverage to their workers, and many don't, particularly small employers who just feel that they can't afford it. Only about 50% of small employers actually offer coverage to their workers. They can also choose whether or not to offer coverage to dependents like spouses and kids. So the fact that that system is voluntary, just it's the luck of the draw, what job you get and whether you work for an employer that decides to offer you coverage. The other problem, of course, is that if you ever were to leave your job, either if you're laid off or decide you want to take care of a family member or operate your own business, become self-employed, you lose that access to that employer-sponsored insurance. Thanks to the Affordable Care Act, there are some other alternatives you can turn to, but that employer-based coverage where the employer is often kicking in a really large percentage of the premium, that disappears. And then, of course, the other issue is that it's really inequitable. You mentioned the federal subsidy that goes to employer-sponsored insurance. That's essentially a tax break that employers and workers get for their premium contributions to employer-sponsored insurance, and it's highly regressive. So higher income workers benefit the most from that particular tax subsidy. And so there's just real inequities in how that operates in our society. So when the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, nearly 50 million Americans were uninsured. So what have the positive effects of the legislation been and where do you see limitations? Well, the biggest and most obvious is that we have seen a significant reduction in our uninsured rate. I'm afraid I do not have the precise number at my fingertips, but I think we're down to like 30 or fewer million people uninsured. So that is a pretty significant increase in the number of people with coverage. But there are gaps. First and foremost, we do have a significant number of people who remain uninsured. Often they are the most vulnerable in our society. People of color tend to be uninsured more than white individuals. We also know that ACA did nothing to provide coverage to people who are undocumented, who are not in the country legally. And affordability remains a huge issue. So premiums are high for many families to afford. And then even when you can afford the premium, many of these health plans come with fairly high deductibles and other forms of cost sharing that people have to face when they actually use health care services. So in what ways are historically marginalized populations still excluded from affordable health insurance coverage? Is it strictly a financial matter? It can be. I mean, the other issue, of course, is that the Affordable Care Act, by design, does not cover undocumented individuals. And those two tend to be many people of color. So that is a big source of the inequity. But I do think there are a couple of other sources. One is affordability. Although the Affordable Care Act provides subsidies to help people pay for premiums and cost sharing for many families that are stretched thin with rent and food and all of the other expenses, the premiums are still too high. And the other issue is just a outreach and awareness issue, making sure that individuals understand the value of health insurance coverage, 
and that these financial subsidies are available. And then the last thing I'll just mention, and we just circling back to the employer-sponsored insurance issue, is that when we build a system where the backbone is employer-sponsored insurance, the employer's least likely to offer health insurance their workers tend to be black and brown more than white. We're talking retail, hospitality, restaurant. So they often have a disproportionate share of folks who are communities of color, and they tend to be the least likely to offer health insurance. Finally, if creating a national coverage system continues to be politically unfeasible, what policy changes do you think could help improve affordability and access to coverage, including among these marginalized populations? Well, this is where I'm hopeful and I'm seeing some really exciting policy changes happening primarily at the state level. So we're seeing, for example, several states step in to provide coverage to people who are undocumented. So that's exciting to see. We are also seeing states do more to try to address the affordability challenges. So, for example, helping people defray their deductibles or other cost sharing or providing additional premium assistance to lower income individuals. So there's a lot of really great and exciting and innovative action going on at the state level, while we have, to a large extent, a stalemate at the federal level with respect to big picture health reform. Thank you, Professor Corlett. 